Hello, Jess from Not D&D here. Just before this episode, wanted to put in a quick trigger warning. This week we're talking about the game Defragmentation, and we will be discussing issues such as death and memory loss. So quick trigger warning in case you didn't want to listen to a podcast containing those themes. Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of Not D&D. As always, I'm your host, Jessica, and we're brought to you by EN World Live, which is part of EN World's leading tabletop news and review site. This week with me, I'm very excited because I stumbled across a really awesome looking game on Kickstarter. Uh, So I invited Ryan to come on and talk about their game. Ryan, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. I'm, I'm stoked. Well, I'm excited to talk to you about this. So I saw Defragmentation on Kickstarter literally last week and messaged you out the blue and was like, hi, do you want to come on my podcast? Which seems like such a millennial thing to ask, but here we are. Um, So I'm really excited to talk to you uh, about your game. Uh, I put some links in the chat for people listening. The game is now currently live on Kickstarter. So while we're watching, if you like what you're hearing, go take a look and and show the project some love on there. Uh, But for the next hour, we'll be talking uh, about the game so you can hear about it in more details. If you have any questions, uh, you can pop it in the chat and we will answer it live during the show. And if you're listening to the podcast, all the links will be in the show notes. Um, so Ryan, obviously we're going to talk about your game, Defragmentation. But before we get into that, I'm going to ask you some questions about you because you're also a very interesting yeah. person. Um, so what was your first experience with tabletop games that you can recall? Yeah, as um, cliche as it is, and I, I imagine that answers all uh this answer is all for a lot of folks uh dnd uh 3.5 is where i i cut my teeth so to speak in the tt rpg world and uh Mm -hmm. i loved it uh we never you know i i think i started playing in like eighth grade and we had Mm -hmm. a consistent weekly campaign almost all the way through high school Um, oh wow in the same world with most the same characters that we took and so uh very much that was the only RPG experience I had and we never played anything else ever through the whole thing. And so uh, I've long since moved on to other taverns and dungeons Um, Mm -hmm. since then. uh, I haven't played D&D in well over a decade at this point, but um, Uh definitely owe so much of my my love for tabletop role playing games to 3.5. And uh, it's it's wild to think we just had this super long campaign and yeah, that just continue to evolve and, and and collaborative kind of collaboratively build out this world together, which was very mm-hmm. much unlike D and D, but worked for our group. So that sounds a lot like my group. We've been playing together for about five years, and we're playing we're playing eleven up advanced fifth edition now. We started on D and D, but we've been playing the same campaign for such a long time, and it's so rare. Cause I think so many people um, get a game together of any tabletop RPG as a campaign, and then you know like someone can't make it and then someone leaves and it just kind of falls apart and you never get the end of the story. So that's really cool to hear that you had that. Do you remember your character? Did you have like one particular character for the whole campaign? Yeah, I uh, I still have my character sheet. Uh, I should have no laid it out. Yeah, I still have my yeah. original character sheet. Nice. Uh, it was a, he was a, just a, a fighter named Waker. Uh, and I think I used some random name generator online to come up with that name. And um, it, I stayed with that fighter for almost that entire time. And uh, it was really cool because when I was getting ready to kind of like, I had other stuff going on and other commitments and I couldn't continue mm-hmm. to play, but the group was continuing. And 
my character ultimately ended up getting to become the main antagonist for the next leg of the story in that world. Oh, wow. So it was a, it was a really cool thing to kind of hand off. Um, yeah. So. so you did the classic trope of you either die a hero or live long enough to become the villain. You literally stayed yes. alive and became the villain. That's really yeah. cool. Well, I could stay and talk to you about that for a long time because I'm a massive nerd, but this show is called Not D&D, so I will stop right. talking to you about your D&D campaign and talk um, to about other systems uh, that you do. Um, so your the game we're going to be talking about, um, you know, defragmentation is clearly very far away from <laughs> from D and D, far more far more indie, uh, kind of a, a solo journaling game. Um, when did you first start exploring kind of more indie tabletop RPGs? Yeah, I guess um, I think I, my, the next game I played uh, when I did get back to playing indie games was an indie game. It was Dread, uh, and I loved nice. it, and I. I ran it for a bunch of folks who had never mm -hmm. played any kind of tabletop role playing before. And oh, wow. it was a blast. Uh, yeah. And then it had a few of those kind of games here and there. But um, when I started on my own kind of developing and working on creating games, it was like I had a light bulb moment a few years ago, actually. Uh, um, there's mm -hmm. an internet friend, Tony Vicinda of Plus One EXP, uh, had done a Kickstarter for this game called Beards and Beyond that he had been working on. It was about beards and adventures. and it just like it never hit me up until that point that someone could just make their own game and release it. Yeah. I guess you know, like I we did mm -hmm. a lot. I like when I was a uh, in you know playing D and D three point five. Uh, we everything was so homebrewed. Like we we just mm -hmm. chopped up the whole system and used it how we see we saw fit. Yeah. Um, but I never had this novel idea of like I could just make something of my own and release mm -hmm. it. And so, um, so I started doing that. I challenged myself. Um, I guess it was. It was 2020, um, and I challenged myself to design a one-page RPG every month of that year. And oh wow, uh, yeah, yeah. And so I ended up releasing more than that over the course mm -hmm. of that year. Um, but I released just a myriad of, of just really broken, <laughs> really minimalist kind of indie games, just to kind of try uh -huh. to stretch my creative process and explore different concepts and ideas that I wanted to try out. And so that's kind of where I got started on that is I just set up a email list and it was like, uh, like, Hey, I'm going to be sitting out free monthly one page games, um, nice. for the entirety of this year, if you want it. And so, uh, the first game kicked off, um, because I, I'm a person uh, of faith. And, uh, so I created a very, um, heretical, I guess, or at least heterodox game about okay. uh, the holy, a holy family uh, of the birth mm -hmm. of Jesus, where uh, you had to fight off the three magi that were basically had become like undead liches. Uh, okay. and you either played as, you either played as Joseph, Mary, or the donkey. And there was, you know, it's very PBTA-ish kind of like playbookish style, but okay. yeah. So that was the first one I kicked off. I kicked it off with uh -huh. that and it was a blast. And then I, I just done a myriad of different ones after that. And so I uh, ended up running a Kickstarter campaign for a solo uh, RPG called Project Terminus, which is just now being fulfilled. Over oh, a year late, which is very upsetting, uh, but the game just grew. It, it, it started out mm -hmm. being just very kind of minimalist solo game, and it ended up mm -hmm. being far bigger uh, than I could have ever imagined it was going to be, And uh, mm -hmm. which I'm thankful for, but it was some challenges for sure. So Definitely. Well, and I imagine you having done a Kickstarter campaign before. So uh, as we mentioned before, Defragmentation is uh, on Kickstarter now, so this is your second project. So you probably learn a whole bunch of things from that first project that you bring into your second one. 
um so it, it's all a learning thing like hey we're all just learning stuff when we do kickstarters every time and seeing how it goes um but yeah so as we were actually on it why don't we talk about defragmentation actually because we i've been talking around it and yeah. talking about you a lot but should we just get into the meat of the situation here tell me about defragmentation so what's the elevator pitch how do you describe it to people yeah so defragmentation is, is essentially just a game about androids and memory loss and how it, it shapes us and um i do a lot of work around in, in in other areas of my life with rpgs around kind of development uh and self-discovery and those kind of things and mm -hmm. so that's always kind of in the back of my mind and um i i've been dealing with a lot around this philosophical concepts and, and dealing with this concept of memory and how ultimately how unreliable our memories are um even if we have what we would perceive to be good memories and um how we maybe me and you could experience something and we would mm -hmm. remember it completely differently and the impact yeah. it would have on us and so this, this is a concept i've just been turning over a lot um particularly in my studies uh, in grad school and things like that and um so i just had this idea of like what what does it mean for members to shape us and um what does it mean to deal with memory loss because if our memories as unreliable as they may be make us who we are what happens mm -hmm. when even those memories are not there anymore yeah and so uh, I chose this solo kind of uh, journaling kind of way to kind of explore that. So it's very much an existential game. Uh, mm -hmm. For me, as someone who's played it, it, it's come across, it's very heavy. It's very kind yeah. of like, there's been times I've had to be like, okay, you know what, I'm, I can walk away from this for a minute uh, because mm -hmm. the aspect of bleed and, and Mm -hmm. there's there's no way to not bring yourself into it so yeah and yeah. so essentially I'm, I'm i'm talking around it i guess in some ways but it's very mm -hmm. much an, just an existential solo journaling game where mm -hmm. you take on the role of an android uh on the cusp of system failure and so mm -hmm. uh there is some kind of uh very minimal but kind of latent kind of anti-capitalist kind of themes there because you are this okay. android in this post-human future who can't afford for whatever reason to acquire the upgrades needed to continue um, mm -hmm. without the effects of system failure and so because of the, the 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 because of that you have to then go through begin to sort through core memories because you're becoming mm -hmm. fragmented and you're, you're again you're on the verge of system failure and so you have to go through your core memories choosing which ones to save edit or delete um to essentially make space to curb this defragmentation but in doing so you're fragmenting yourself in a different way you're yeah. going to get to continue forward but who you are on the other side of this is not going to be who you were when you started um yeah and so again it's really just an exploration around how memories shape who we are and through this kind of theme of a post-human you know uh world full of automatons who are yeah. trying to figure out how to continue and live and and be who they are so yeah i i read the brief on the kickstarter page and it spoke to me so much because i love a deep existentialist bit of a dark uh ttrpg i kind of love that sort of thing i'm a sucker for it uh, and i think that ai as the use for it is is really really smart because it's something you can understand like in a computer and it's it's close enough but far away enough that you can play it without it being maybe too close you know um i was wondering about your kind of inspiration for it because one of the things that first came to mind for me is I, I i kind of thought about the film memento a bit about you know the guy with memory loss and he used Polaroid pictures for stuff, and some of your imagery has that. Um, but what were your inspirations for creating this game? Yeah, um, you know, it's it's 
funny that you say that because I, I don't know that I have a direct line. I'm sure there are some kind of subconscious influences that mm-hmm. I hadn't thought of. Um, I, I haven't seen the movie that you're talking about either. So that's something, oh, like something I need you to look should. up. It's good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so really, honestly, the, the influences for this were very just personal. Um, mm-hmm. And we might throw up a, a trigger warning uh, really quick for those uh, maybe who are uncomfortable with death or uh, the idea of memory loss. Um, I, I lived in a home growing up with, um, with a family member, a close relative my entire childhood who suffered from dementia and Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. And so I spent my whole life, child child life, and uh, into my teens with with her and watching mm-hmm. that progress. And yeah. um, so it's it's a conversation that happens in our family a lot because it's something that comes up in our family's um, history as far as medical yeah. history and thinking through that. And so watching someone not remember who they are but still being who they are to you, mm-hmm. and and then days them remembering things and not seeming like who they are and. Yeah. Um, earlier, uh, early last year, I lost my father. And um, in that, one of the things I realized was that my experience of my father and other people's experience of my father were so radically different. And it caused weird tensions and recall, you know, sitting around the mm-hmm. table, pulling out these old photo books, we're bringing up different, all kinds of different memories for different people in my family. Yeah. And it was something that just really began to turn the wheels in my own head about you know, what does it mean for two people to experience something and walk away with completely different perspectives on it? And what does it mean for even for us as individuals to experience something and rework it to to something that was traumatic and we take it and we compost it, so to speak, and we rework it into something that can be used for our own own growth, you know, despite the the harm that it may have caused or or whatever. And so really my my influences around it were just deeply existential kind of experiencing uh, experiences and family mm-hmm. history and stuff. Uh, I'm sure there's a myriad of other pop cultural kind of references that I'm not um, recalling, but that are there obviously, because this is not necessarily a new concept by any means. Um, I, one that does come to mind, I, I keep thinking about uh, iRobot, um, both the book and the movie uh, and this oh, yeah. robot character having dreams and that being this, completely um he's having dreams or memories and there's embedded mm-hmm. memories and to him they're dreams you know so i would say that's probably mm-hmm. a distant definitely a dif- distant influence on the game as a whole but uh very much just kind of birthed in the crucible of this existential wrestling around memory and how it shapes who we are more than anything yeah i mean i think that's I think that's a really interesting inspiration you have for that, especially from the personal moment you have. I also have something quite similar. My um, great aunt moved in with my family when I was 16. She had a stroke and her memory wasn't the same. And it's interesting when you talk about identity as well, but because her memories of some of her life and who she was were so different, it changed her personality a lot, which is something we we didn't kind of expect. And she still thought she was in her 20s. And which I remember having a conversation with her at one point. She was like, oh, I've got to get up and, and go to work. She used to work as a nurse. And I was like, oh, no, you're right. You're retired now. You can just relax. And she's like, mm, I'm not retired. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah you're, you retired when you were like 65. And she's like, how dare you? I'm 24. And I was like, yeah. I am 16 and I don't know how to have this conversation with somebody. So, I, yeah. yeah, so I think it's really, it's a really big topic to kind of create. How did you work to kind of... Um, approach that in, in in a game mechanics sort of way 
Yeah, so I, I try to keep, the game um, is really simple because um, originally it was going to kind of be more like a zine length kind of project with just prompts and, and more everything kind of more written out in detail. And I decided that I if the more words I put down, the le- the more restrictive the game become. And mm-hmm. I wanted people to be able to experience it on their own terms and to sure. be able to interpret it as they wanted. And so the idea of having just kind of cards as prompts with very minimal, mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, a, a time when you experienced healing. Uh, and mm-hmm. then there's, you know, a table that determines, so it gives it some flavor, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you can roll again to determine if it was, you know, this healing was difficult or, or bodily healing or, or whatever, whatever it is. And all the cards have a different, you know, different prompts on each of them. Uh, because I really wanted to leave it as open-ended as possible for people who yeah. are playing it. Because at the same time that coming in as someone who's realizing, like, I have a very kind of more dark existential kind of connection to this concept of memory loss is that mm-hmm. maybe for somebody who's coming in who may have, maybe they've experienced trauma or difficulty in life or have a marginalized identity that um, brings up uh, memories that are less than pleasant. What it, what does it mean to be then to be able to delete a harmful memory? What does it mean to be able yeah. to let go? Because not necessarily all core memories are good memories, right? And sure. so, um, so how I interpret healing or, or death or whatever prompt it may be, um, I may associate it with something that's good or bad, and someone else may may do it in a totally different way. And so, I wanted to leave it as open ended as possible, uh, and just very minimal and simple. So, again, you're you know, it's it's the way it plays out is that you simply just, you draw a card and there's very minimal, there's, there's some guiding questions uh, for your journals um, kind of entries, but they're still very open-ended kind of just to help get you going, kind of thinking through that as your character. Um, so yeah, that's really just how it, it plays out mechanically very simply. You know, it's, it's simply, you just draw a card, there's a prompt, you go with it. And um, I think it works best that way because again, like I was writing a good bit for it. And the more Mm -hmm. I was, when I was play testing it, the more it just felt like I was making people experience the story that I, I was experiencing kind of dealing with those prompts and Mm -hmm. the way I would respond to that is not the way anybody else would or should have to. And there's times Mm -hmm. I think for games for that to work out that way, but for this game in particular, I wanted it to be as minimal and open-ended as possible for people. Awesome. Um, so Going into the rules a little bit more, um, could you talk us through the kind of like the flow of play? So how, how do we sit down and play the game? What do we need and 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 what does a session look like? Yeah, so I I designed it to be like again very minimal. It's 36 cards, um, or one of which contains the kind of the journal guiding questions. Uh, all mm-hmm. all the all the actual rules and everything are printed on the inside of the hook box. Uh, mm-hmm. Unless you get the digital version, and then um, I have a setup for a digital kind of platform on PlayingCards.io that all the rules mm-hmm. and everything are there, and you can just play it from that spot. Um, but if you're playing the physical version, you know you would you would have your journal kind of of choice, whether that's handwriting or handwriting something or a word doc or or even I guess uh, you know audio recording or video recording even, um, and you would you roll a you roll three d six to begin with, just kind of determine. Um, the amount of memories you're going to have to go through in this session. So, and you take the two highest numbers. And so, say you roll 3d6 and you total two highest numbers ends up being 12. So you're functionally going to draw 12 cards for uh, over the course of the game. And then from there, you'll, you'll, you'll draw your first card and you'll read the initial prompt. You'll roll a d6 again to mm-hmm. determine, um, kind of add some flavor to that. 
to that prompt and then you'll roll mm -hmm. a d6 again and this is something that i i didn't have in originally but you'll roll a d6 again to determine whether that memory is saved saved edited or deleted and originally i kind of left that up to the player to determine what they wanted to do that do with that memory um uh -huh. but it the more i play tested it kind of mm -hmm. taking that little bit of agency away uh made yeah. it feel more like a, a memory loss kind of uh, aspect yeah. to it is that um, there was some determining factor on the fate of that memory. And so, mm -hmm. and then once you do that, so once you draw your card and you roll for your flavor and the outcome, you'll then write a journal entry. And in that journal entry, you're kind of instructed to talk about th what that memory was, why it's important and how the outcome has affected you um, for good or bad or how you feel different. You know, now that this has happened, if this memory has been deleted, what what who are you now in this moment how does how does it change you because you still you can functionally as, as this mm -hmm. android you can look down and see that yeah i once had this memory but it's no longer your memory you can see it written down and just like when we engage any other kind of stories or anything you know i could read mm -hmm. someone else's journal and i can have knowledge of it but it, it's not yeah. mine so it doesn't it's not embedded in who i am as a person uh and so at that point you know that in that post kind of script of the towards the end of the journal entry is that that memory is no longer you know if it was deleted it's no longer yours so it becomes kind of an, an artifact of someone who you once were but aren't anymore so and then you just you just repeat that process mm -hmm. at whatever pace feels comfortable for you and mm -hmm. until you've completed as many journal entries as uh and drawn as many cards as the original dice rolls you did at the very beginning of the flow of play mm -hmm. Fantastic. So it's really simple. So you don't need a, an awful lot of things. And like you say, you can play it digitally. You don't have to like physically have the deck of cards or anything as well. So awesome. Um, with, with the game, so obviously it's a solo kind of journaling game and I'm kind of new to solo tabletop RPGs. Um, so what kind of, you know, guidance do you have for people that's maybe playing a solo tabletop RPG for the first time? Um, yeah, I, I think depending on the game, uh, definitely create you some space to do it in, you know, and give mm -hmm. yourself permission. It, it's really easy, I think, when we're in groups to, and I, at least I find in myself groups to kind of have those boundary lines drawn a little better when we come together mm -hmm. and say like, hey, these are topics I don't want to discuss or encounter. Um, yeah. But maybe sometimes as an individual, once you start playing something, it, it's like you want to complete it, you want to push through. But especially mm -hmm. with solo games, in my experience, who someone who tends to write kind of darker, heavier <laughs> solo games, it's like it's sure. okay to just stop to walk away. You don't you don't have to finish it. Give yourself space because um, being alone, kind of with the game and being alone with mm -hmm. your thoughts and whatever comes up, it it, it can kind of it to me it, it it cultivates a space. It makes it a little easier to get in your feelings and sometimes um yeah even when you're not wanting to role play you know you don't have a group so you're not necessarily actively role playing in a way that some people you might have been in a group setting uh, sure. but it, it does tend to hit differently so i would definitely say find games that are pretty uh minimal to begin with there's some very complex solo role playing games some of my games project terminus mm -hmm. is a fairly kind of crunchy solo role playing game there's a lot of different moving parts that you have to figure out um but i think if you're venturing into this world to find, definitely find games that are um have a little bit of a less mechanics and more minimally designed um especially mm -hmm. on the journaling side of things um for sure so that would that would be my uh definitely my recommendation for folks and mm -hmm. um that you just find something that feels good and right something that you want to be willing to explore there's again yeah. one of the things i love about solo tabletop games is that 
Um, there's such a wide diver. I mean, there's a diversity of all kinds of tabletop games, but um, there's slice of life games. There's very like cozy cottagey games. There's games that are really dark and kind of like existential. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all kinds of flavors out there. And uh, if you have trouble like me, getting into a, a group, a regular, on a regular consistency, solo games are mm-hmm. a really good opportunity for folks to have a chance to play games and not necessarily have to coordinate all the crazy schedules that come in with trying to get a group of adults together to do something on a regular basis. So, Yeah, for sure. I think that's really interesting what you said about safety mechanics, because that's not something I'd really thought about, because obviously, like you say, when we're playing in a group, it's really important when we're doing a game to just tap, do lines and veils or just agree on the game you're playing and, and what it is and isn't going to include. Um, do you have to do that? Because like when you're doing a solo game, you kind of know your boundaries and stuff. Or do, do you have any process or any things you have to do around safety for a solo game? Or is it just walk away if you need to? <laughs> like I hadn't really thought yeah, about that before. Yeah. And so I, with all my solo games um, that are on the heavier end, especially, I've always included mm-hmm. kind of a note on safety. Um, mm-hmm. obviously you're not like necessarily writing anything down or establishing lines of L's or laying out an X card because it's just you. Right. But it, sure. it, it just ends up being a good reminder to be like, Hey, you know, your own boundaries, you know, your limits, like it's okay to completely walk away like from this game. And I, I know I kind of have the personality. I do not like to quit things. I don't like to <laughs> not finish things yeah. that I've started, even that are difficult. And that might seem silly uh to say like what if you were like having a hard time with the game why would you just walk away because like i have mm-hmm. this uh, for better or worse this impulse like no i just need to push through this and go on but um mm-hmm. being able to just check in with yourself i, I think on a societal level most, the, for the most part we don't do a good job with that we don't go, do a good job of listening to our bodies and and thinking like hey this is this is bringing up some anxiety. I know as someone who has anxiety disorder, um, there's a lot of little signs that it took me a long time to realize like this is happening in my body and this is a sign that I need to step back and catch my breath and realize what is co- what is the source of this, you know? Um, and so I think just being aware of who you are and aware of those triggers and lines in, in your own life is important, but it's always good to have those reminders. Like when you're coming into a game or into a space to say like this, this is, just a game it is just a game but um there's this concept uh called like a magic circle right you're entering into a space where like the normal rules of life are suspended mm-hmm. um but that doesn't necessarily mean the regular things of life no longer exist anymore right if we're playing mm-hmm. D together jessica like we are barbarians and warriors and we're going mm-hmm. to fight dragons and loot dungeons and we're not us but we are still us right and yeah. there's there's time in that space it, it, it creates a space for a lot of good things to happen but it also can create a space for for us to become disjointed and and anxious and you know and and feel triggered or, or whatever and and so i think it's always good especially in solo games just to check in with yourself to know like what you're playing mm-hmm. before you play and know that like it's a game and you can walk away from it and process it however you need to. Like if you roll in, you know, if you, you're supposed to be drawing 12 cards for defragmentation mm-hmm. and you get to card six and the prompt is like too heavy, just draw another card. Or if you don't want to quit, yeah. like just get, just discard that card and draw a different one. Like it's really simple. Like, you know, it, it's not, if, if you skip this prompt or you skip this card or you walk away, like the game's not going to be ruined. Like, it's, yeah. um, so I definitely think um, as someone who has various things that I wouldn't expect to trigger anxious situations in my own body and my Mm -hmm. own life, that it's good to always be able to check in with yourself and recognize like, you know, I don't, you don't have to have an X card on the table solo playing, but it's always good to just like, you know what, 
this is too much right now. Yeah. I'm going to come back to it later. So, yeah. Absolutely. I think that's really good practice for anyone to do because I think, I mean, it's it's easy to do in a solo game, like you say, because it's just you. But I think even in a, a game with other people in, it's always okay to be like, oh, can we stop for a minute? Kind of for any reason. And I think sometimes people are afraid to do that because they're like, oh, I don't want to ruin anyone's fun. I don't want to be that person yeah. that's like, can we? Um, so maybe doing a solo game is good practice for doing it just by yourself and realizing that nothing bad happens if you do that. Um, right. That's a really good point to make. Um, so we have mentioned before the game is on Kickstarter currently um, and I saw your game originally on Kickstarter and was really impressed uh, with the campaign. It's uh, kind of really well laid out. It's really clear um, you and it was done for the Make 100 event. So I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so I, I've been aware of the Make 100 event the last couple of times we've done it. And a couple of years ago, I... I um, participated in ZineQuest and I was debating uh, participating in ZineQuest again this year and I just mm -hmm. decided that I didn't, I wasn't going to do it this year. Uh, for one, there's just been all kinds of random controversy in the Zine community, it seems like, between Kickstarter okay. and all this stuff. And um, so I had this other game that I was already working on and, and kind of moving a different direction as far as from a Zine to kind of car base with defragmentation. And I was trying mm -hmm. to think, okay, like, when can I launch this? And um, I was thinking like, oh, we'll make 100s coming up. You know, it's just a, it's kind of a, a much smaller event, I think, than ZineQuest for Kickstarter. Um, you know, in Make 100, it's basically uh, creators launch, it, it's, the idea is to launch smaller campaigns. Um, I think there's probably some people who are launching bigger campaigns than others, mm -hmm. but it's the idea of kind of just keeping it simple. You know, I think it, it's usually a good entryway for people. Uh, who mm -hmm. are wanting to do Kickstarters, um, from what I gather anyway, because there is a sense of community event happening. So it's not like mm -hmm. you're, you know, you're not starting like in the middle of May when no, there's no kind of, you're just, your project's out there and if people see it, they see it. And if you promote it enough, you know, there is a little bit of more kind of um, cushion there because you, your, your project's going to show up on this event on Kickstarter or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I definitely think it's a good entryway for folks who are looking to do kind of a smaller project. You know, one of the staple things for Make 100 is that, a part of your project only there can only be a 100 of them so like i could mm -hmm. sell a million digital copies but there's only 100 physical copies of defragmentation available for this for this campaign okay so yeah so get involved now so this is going to be <laughs> there's only going to be 100 copies made of the game yeah. uh, so if you're interested in getting a copy uh you can go to kickstarter there i would have picked myself up one but unfortunately it's only in the us which is smart from a logistics perspective because, you know, if you're going global with 100 copies, that would get so expensive real quick. Um, but yeah, there is yeah. the digital version that you can get if you're in the UK like me, which I picked up as well. Um, so you mentioned before that this isn't um, your first kind of Kickstarter. Um, what sort of lessons learned did you have between your last one and this one um, that you could share with people that are maybe planning on on doing their own? Yeah, I... I would say the three biggest things uh, that I learned is just keep it simple mm -hmm. and um, don't fall into the pressure because Kickstarter is going to like update you like unceasingly about <laughs> where your project every morning, every night, you're going to get a report. And, you know, every time someone, you know, it's if you're, you're coming into this, keep, if this is your first Kickstarter, for one, I would say have your project like 99.9% .9 done. Mm -hmm. um, because my first project, uh, it was mostly done in the sense of there was a lot, all the narrative and kind of like story elements were there and a lot of the art was already done. 
But the more mm-hmm. I sat with it, the more I realized I needed this game to be more than what I pitched it. And okay. so it ended up going from 24 pages to 36 pages. It ended up being far more in depth and the gameplay and the mechanics just evolved entirely in a way that I would have never expected when I originally went into it. Cause I was like, Oh, this is going to be simple, you know, and um, it just grew. And so mm-hmm. I would say, get all the growing done before you come to Kickstarter, make sure that the game is what you want it to be. And, you know, and again, when my first Kickstarter, I really thought it was, but then the more I played and the more I worked, the more I was like, this needs to be more. And it wasn't for, mm-hmm. it wasn't for the backers. It wasn't, it was because like, I <laughs> wanted this game to be something in particular. And the more I worked yeah. on it, the more it grew. And I'm thankful for that. Uh, it's, it's, I'm thankful that backers have been so kind of kind and, and um, graceful as far as like the, the delayed timeline. But so I would say when you're coming in, be, get it, all the way done. Like, I mean, don't, don't just have like a passion concept because what you're going to do is when you're, you do that Kickstarter and you get all those funds, you're going to feel all this pressure and think like, Oh, I need to make this game better. Or I want others, these things I want to improve it on. And Mm -hmm. it's going to just continue to grow and change. Um, So I would say, keep it, make sure you're, you're, you're there and you keep it simple. Uh, Don't do stress goals as I like to call them. Uh, (laughs) Kickstarter. There is mm-hmm. all this pressure to do stretch goals. And I think, you know, like I could mm-hmm. like right now, like even if I didn't have stretch goals established before you're started, you can go in and add them. Like you can go in and yeah. there's this pressure to like, oh, well, we're at 200% funded. I need to add something else to make sure we continue to go forward and forward. Um, mm-hmm. And I just, I would advise against it unless you, you have mm-hmm. it all baked in to what you're doing. Uh, so for me with defragmentation, when I came into it, I knew I wanted it to be small, which make 100 was perfect for. I didn't yeah. want to have a lot of logistics stuff. And it's unfortunate about not being able to ship outside of the US, um, mm-hmm. but it just on a logistic level, some shipping yeah. to outside of this country is 35, is more than the game cost yeah. to some places around the world. And mm-hmm. it's just not a stress I need in my life right now as a grad student. And so yeah. uh, I would love for physical copies to be available to everyone across the planet. But unfortunately, it's not worth me <laughs> losing sleep over at the current point in my yeah. life. And so mm-hmm. uh, I would say keep it simple. Again, keep it simple yeah. and ha- have it done. And then just communicate as much as you can about what it is. And then communicate mm-hmm. to backers, like especially if something like delays and stuff do happen after the campaign or whatever. Um, one thing I would also recommend is that two weeks feels like an eternity. Some people do 30-day campaigns. My yeah. first campaign was two weeks. And I was only going to do seven this time. And I regret not doing seven. So if I would have went with my gut kind of decision, the campaign would be over tonight or at eight in the morning tomorrow, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's still plenty. So we're like halfway through. Uh, Seven days left. Goes, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And mostly it's just because I just want it to be over because I want people to get the game, you know, like, <laughs> you're I, ready to share and, it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm personally not interested and this would be different for different people for sure. But mm-hmm. like once we hit the funding goal, like, you know, I, I, if we didn't get another backer beyond that, I would have been happy because I just want to get the game into the world. And it's something mm-hmm. that, you know, that I've enjoyed making and want to share with people. And so I definitely think if you're coming into your first campaign that way, uh, on the smaller end of s- stuff, like I am, that that's definitely the way to go to keep it small, reduce all the fluff you can and mm-hmm. triple check your shipping stuff. If you're going to do it yes. anywhere else in the world, because mm-hmm. every year shipping rates, they just flux. And so mm-hmm. you've got to really be on top of that on calculating it. So, yeah. And then I guess the last bit of advice would be just to do it. Like, I, I mean, just do it. Like, cause it's, 
who's going to stop you? Like if you just do your math and, and put mm -hmm. it on there, like uh, it's going to be worth the learning experience regardless, even if like you're not looking to make this your job or whatever, it's just something you mm -hmm. have a game that you loved and you worked on and you want to share it with the people. I think um, Kickstarter for all of its, all of its flaws and issues, especially over the last year with all the just controversies and stuff that have happened. Yeah. Um, for better or worse, it's a platform that allows you to like share the things you make and uh, that you love with the world in a way that you might not be able to otherwise. So mm -hmm. uh, definitely don't let nothing, anything hold you back. Like it's just do the math and uh, don't let yourself get stressed out. And that's really good advice. I completely agree about stretch goals as well. Cause I think sometimes people are, tend to do more and more and more and I think it makes sense sometimes if there's a financial reason for it like because if you're like hey if we get to this much money it makes financial sense that we'll be able to afford to do this then yeah that makes 100% so say if you're like oh hey if we're at this level we'll add more arcs we can afford to pay an artist or whatever then those stretch goals I tend to think yeah that makes sense um, but if you're just like trying to chuck more and more things and make it more complicated for yourself I think you can so easily end up in a mess um, so I always prefer to support kickstarter campaigns that are a lot more clean and simple I know what I'm getting, I know what it is. And yeah, it makes more sense. And in terms of shipping, like you say, you can always get a digital version for tabletop RPGs. Uh, right. There's always there's always the option for that for there. Speaking of which, digital options, you also do have some add-ons for this campaign though. So you have three of your previous games as a kind of, you can pick up as PDFs. Do you want to briefly just talk us through, through those games and what they are? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, a lot of people do add-ons, like physical copies of their games. And again, I did not mm -hmm. want to get into any more shipping problems <laughs> sure. um, or delays. So I just thought to keep it simple. And so um, the kind of the first big game that I did, which when I kickstarted was Project Terminus, which is kind of at the first of the list on the Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. It's a 36 page kind of solo game. Um, and it's so it's it's really interesting because these three games, because again, we, I've created several games over the last mm -hmm. couple of years that I could have bundled together in some kind of kind of, I think, nicer packaging, probably. Mm -hmm. um, but these games in particular all exist in a shared universe. Uh, mm -hmm. or multiverse, depending on whatever language you like. Um, mm -hmm. And they're all independently can be played, but they, they have somewhat of a concept of what we call at Paradox Press uh, alone together. And so um, in the sense, there's these smaller aspects that allow these games to kind of be played with other people in, in connection mm -hmm. in some way. And so Project Terminus is, again, it's kind of like the, it is like the, the big game, the biggest game we've done so far. Mm -hmm. um, and it is building on what is a, a forthcoming audio drama called Broadcast 2071. And so mm -hmm. when we were, I was originally writing the script for this audio drama, uh, I ended up having all these variants and, and just kind of um, storylines that I couldn't pursue that I wanted to. And so I was mm -hmm. having to narrow it down for the audio drama. And so the idea for Project Terminus came about is like, so how can I take some of these different aspects and this kind of larger concept of broadcast 2071 and kind of in a meta way, make it available to the world. And so every time someone plays Project Terminus, they're essentially getting to play through the events of broadcast 2071 in a different universe, in a different mm -hmm. break off. Because what happens in this story is functionally that um, humanity is, of course, we're trying to escape the earth. We use this technology that is supposed to basically make interstellar travel instantaneous. And what it does is it just throws everything, <laughs> it throws the crap, crap, you know, yeah, into yeah. the fan. And, mm -hmm. and so you play as a character who essentially gets, who should have ended up on Mars, who lands 50 some odd years in the future in a post-apocalyptic earth alone. 
And so oh. that's where project terminus is kind of like, that's, that's the kind of key thing with it. It's, it's, you're playing through this story in some variation of the story you're making broadcast in uh, very uh, some kind of similar influence to uh, from the wretched in, in, a, in a lot of ways in the mm -hmm. sense of the rec audio recording aspect to it. Um, yeah. But the, the hope is that when people play through that game, that they will release their broadcast, they'll release the recordings so that once broadcast 2071, the audio drama is out in the world, is that I'll be able to connect people to these other variants of this story. Like this is mm -hmm. what happened to this, you know, this version, in this universe, or so to speak. And so um, all this different timeline aspects. And so the, the next game kind of in the bundle is by the light of a broken moon, which takes mm -hmm. place 10 years after the event. So okay. it's, again, time things, uh, mm -hmm. it, it takes place 10 years after the actual event of the cataclysm in this universe, but which is still 40 years in, in 40 years in the past for the events of your character in project terminus. And so by the light of the broken moon, you just basically play, you play a young person who was a child when this event happened and they're it's it's the game that is out of the all three of these games that is most heavily influenced by jeff vandermeer's work and annihilation you're traveling kind of to ground mm -hmm. zero and it's kind of where things all began before everything just went fully to uh, fell apart and mm -hmm. by the time project terminus gets around uh, because the world is kind of riddled with anomalies and kind of like what i would call like reconfigurations and Okay. Functionally, say the environment and the wildlife, um, because of the events of Project Terminus, have kind of been pulled apart and put back together in ways that are sometimes horrifying and disjointing. Uh, and so, by the light of Broken Moon, you you play as a young person whose whose parents have gone missing into this into mm -hmm. kind of Ground Zero or the what's called the Manifest, and you're trying to travel there to find them. Um, and there's some subtle connections between it and project terminus you know building on the world again they all these games are completely independent you can play them mm -hmm. and not play any of the other ones um but yeah. they definitely can be interwoven together and then the last game is actually the the last one i made in the series and it's, it's a much smaller game called ghost signals um out of all kind of the pop cultural influences on these this story broadly um this story has probably been the most influenced uh by i am legend uh, the book I Am Legend and, and the uh, movie yeah. adaptations, mm -hmm. the many movie adaptations, whether it be Omega Man or The Last Man or or Will mm -hmm. Smith's uh, I Am Legend. Um, and in this story, you basically play as a character living after the events of Project Terminus who keeps receiving these broadcasts from the city. Mm -hmm. And um, in the narrative, you don't know this, but in the narrative, essentially, your character doesn't know this, is that these broadcasts are from the pro a character from Project Terminus. Okay. Um, so... So if I was playing Project Terminus and I made all these recordings, one of the things you could do if you wanted to play Ghost Signals, Jessica, is I could give you these recordings or upload them and you could use them for your gameplay in Ghost Signals. Amazing. Uh, and so you could listen to them as a part of the whole play sequence. Uh, and then Ghost Signals, you're kind of like, you're even encouraged to kind of use a map of where you live because uh, mm -hmm. it's very like location based. Um, but it, there's like a minimal map that comes with the game too. Uh, and it's on two trifold pamphlets. So um, all the games are they're all solo games they're all you're alone trying to survive in some version of this post-apocalyptic world and they're mm -hmm. all interconnected in a way um that feels like really interesting to me uh but i'm biased uh because there's all these little points yeah. of connection that just makes it where their universe gets expanded 
the more you play these games or you're playing with other people or in connection with other people, um, mm-hmm. uh, it just opens up opportunities for this narrative that I've been working on for a long time for this audio drama yeah. to just continue to develop and deepen and grow in ways that maybe I couldn't even have anticipated. So, yeah. I, I love that anyone listening to this now, any of my friends that know me, like, oh, I 100% understand why Jess asked this guest to come on because this is like 100% so what I love. I love the kind of post-apocalyptic survival horror, like one person on your own, what do you do in that situation? And I love that combination that you have, that it is a solo game, but there is some connection with other people, like you say, with the voice recordings. That feels so unique to me. Um, if people are listening to the podcast uh, later, once the Kickstarter campaigns ends, I believe it ends on like 23rd, 24th of January. It's about yeah, a week we left. Got seven days left, yeah. Seven days left. So if people are listening to, to this uh, podcast after that day or watching after this day and they would like to check out some of your games, where's a good place for them to go to have a look at them? Yeah, if you go to Paradox press.games uh, you can mm-hmm. find them there, um, the, which it just links to our itch.io uh, itch.io page with all of our games and our whole library even all the like the one page kind of games that i released over the course of that year so yeah all the games are just readily available there the project terminus kind of world games are all at the very top uh for whoever may be interested uh mm-hmm. and then just all the other ones are kind of below that um so yeah they're all they're all readily available project terminus is will be available physically through the plus one exp store um mm-hmm. i think next month we're trying to get all the distribution stuff figured out uh to be it to be distributed by them uh and then by the light of the broken moon if you want a physical copy of it you can actually get it by uh, at exalted funeral um mm-hmm. if you're familiar with uh exalted funerals indie indie publisher um and and store and so they they picked up by the light of the broken moon um sometime i think over the summer and brought it mm-hmm. to print because it was just digital it originally releases as a stress goal uh for project terminus and um but they picked it up and printed it and so it's available through exalted funeral uh physically but all the digital stuff you can find and you can get links to where the physical stuff can be bought on through paradox press games perfect thank you very much for sharing that um so is there anything uh, about the Kickstarter or about defragmentation that I've forgotten to ask you about or, or any kind of closing summary you'd like to, to give about the game? Yeah, no, I, I think uh, I think that's it uh, on, on questions and stuff. I was trying to think, you know, uh, if I did it justice at all. But, you know, defragmentation is, again, it's just it's, a, it's an existential game. It's about mm-hmm. exploring how memory shape who we are. And uh, it's something that uh, I'm really excited to get in the hands of backers. Again, when we have a week left on it, uh, I think there's still 64 physical copies left. So there's plenty of time to get in over the next week. Uh, Mm -hmm. We've had 36 uh, physical copy orders and then some digital. Um, So, yeah, if you you want a copy, I would love, love, love to get a copy in your hands uh, Mm -hmm. because I'm stoked to get it out into the world. And so, yeah, go buy a copy. Absolutely. Well, I've already backed for my PDF version, so I'm excited to get it next week as well, because uh, it sounds exactly the sort of game I want to play. And if you have enjoyed listening to this and think it's the sort of game you want to play, please go and I'm back, because the best way to support indie tabletop RPG creators is to buy their stuff. Um, uh, but so we're coming up near the end of the hour. But the question I always ask is, do you have any recommendations for any indie tabletop RPGs? Uh, the, the rules are it's not D&D and it's not a game that you've made. Gotcha. Yeah. I came prepared, as I told you beforehand. I was trying to think <laughs> which games I wanted to narrow it down to. 
-hmm. and so I'm picking the three latest games I've played, or one of them I've played fairly frequently over the last year. Uh, so I'm going to share three. Dream Chaser yeah. from Imagining Games, uh, Pete, mm -hmm. uh, Petrusha. Uh, they just had a successful um, successful Kickstarter for the, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the Chew, Chew comic from Image Comics. Oh my God, um, yeah, I love this, that comic. This, this I was, didn't know there was an RPG kind of, for that. Yeah, yeah, they made an RPG. He made an RPG uh, of that IP, but his first big game, uh, well, it might not be his first, but the game I know him for is called Dream mm -hmm. Chaser. Yeah. Um, it's kind of an immersive story building game um, where you basically can do whatever you want, like uh, whatever story or moment you want to live out. If you want to, you know, you want to live kind of a slice of life game or whatever. If mm -hmm. you want to slay dragons, you can slay dragons. If you want to be, you know, Whatever you want to do, you can do it. It's very expansive. It's a game that I use a lot uh, in a lot of group sessions and stuff like that that I really enjoy. Um, so it's very open-ended. Um, it's really fun to play with a group of people. Um, the, the kind of community dynamics that are built into the mechanics are really, really fun. Um, the next game I would say I suggest is Signal to Noise from Lunar Shadow Designs. Um, okay. I can't remember when they funded the physical version, but I originally got the, the digital version. It's kind of a, it's a bittersweet kind of interstellar epistle, uh, epistolary game, uh, for two players. Um, and so basically one player is on this starship leaving the planet and the other person's mm -hmm. on the planet and you're sending communications back and forth via email, uh, oh, to each other. Right. Yeah. Uh, but over the course of the distance in the game, your, your emails become scrambled. So there's like a mechanic okay to basically mm -hmm. replace letters depending on the, the prompts and stuff in your letters. And so uh, replace like words and stuff with different letters and things like that. And so your messages become more and more illegible as this distance grows. Um, and it's just, it is existential on a whole other level, but you get to do it with another person, which is really cool. Yeah. I um, love the sound of that. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's called signal to noise by lunar shadow designs. And then mm -hmm. uh, the last one is grasping nettles from Adam uh, Ebel. Uh, grasping nettles is a world building game about community and it's a kind of story over the course of like multiple generations. I think Adam funded it for uh, zine quest the same year I did project terminus. Um, it's a really cool game. Uh, it's definitely a fun as someone who loves world building games and kind of getting mm -hmm. into that kind of stuff. Um, definitely recommend it. Fantastic. That's three great recommendations for us there. So thank you so much. And maybe these are people I will have on as guests uh, on the show. Because uh, that's secretly why I ask everyone for recommendations. Um, Ryan, thank you so much for coming on and uh, sharing your game with us and, and talking about all your other games. Um, wish you the best of luck with the Kickstarter. I'm really looking forward to getting my copy. And hopefully a few more people will pick up a copy after seeing or hearing this. Yeah, thank you so much for letting me come on and talk about it. And thank you, of course, absolutely, just over the, just doubly thank you for just backing the game and supporting it. So I really appreciate it. Of course, no problem. It's exactly my sort of existential, angsty sort of tabletop RPG that I like. I don't know what that says about me, but maybe you'll like me as well and it's your thing as well. Yeah. Um, and thank you very much for everyone that's been watching as well or listening. Uh, we'll be back next week uh, with uh, a new indie tabletop RPG to talk about. Next week, it's Coven and Crucible we're talking about. Uh, so wherever you're watching or listening to this, come back to the same place next week and we'll be here. And that's all for this week. Thank you very much. Bye.